All right, good morning. If you have a Bible or you want to open your Bibles or turn on your devices, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Most of the text will be up on the screen, but if you want to turn over there, join us in Philippians chapter 4. As Tony mentioned, we have a special treat today because it's not just me up here talking at you, but we have Jaime Torres who is joining me this morning. Uh, We're going to do a little tag team preaching or co-preaching. We've reviewed together, we've studied together, I've enjoyed it, uh, but give us some grace if we interrupt each other or or fall down on these stools or something. I've never used a stool to preach from before, so hopefully that'll work. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Jaime, this is the second summer in a row to be uh, at this church, working with our youth group, if you've paid attention to the announcements at all in the bulletin, uh, you've noticed that it said most of the summer, Jaime is back with us, and if you want to take him to lunch, you can do that. It, I think finally the wording was changed in the last week or two. Next Sunday is going to be Jaime's last Sunday with us, and then he's headed back to Abilene. So if you want to take him to lunch, you have one week left to, to do that. So there you go. All right. Thank you, Jody. Um, I'll be even more thankful if that scores me a lunch this afternoon, so I'll be, I'll be looking for you all to come shake my hand afterward and maybe invite me out. Um, I heard a critic over here. I'm going to try to do a good job uh, so that I get less, less feedback in a negative light. So if you'll look up at the screen, some characters are going to start popping up, and I want you to think about if you recognize any of them. And as you're thinking about if you recognize any of them, I then want you to think about what they could all possibly have in common. What could all of these characters up on the screen have in common? That's Cooper Manning and his much more well-known sibling, Peyton Manning. This is Alec Baldwin with his three brothers, Daniel, William, and Stephen. That's Scar and, of course, Mufasa. Loki and Thor, who gets much more of the spotlight. And this is Brent Gretzky, who's actually a hockey player and a decent one, but he's nowhere near as prolific as the greatest hockey player of all time in Wayne Gretzky. So the thing that all of those characters had in common where they were the much lesser-known sibling of their superstar counterparts. In the same way, Philippians 4.12 is the lesser-known sibling to Philippians 4.13. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you could have quoted that before I said that? Most of you. You've heard that. That's known worldwide. Uh, I would put it second to John 3.16 in the most well-known passage out of all the Bible. Philippians 4.13. Now think about Philippians 4.13, and when do you see this passage most often? Most of the time, it's in some sort of athletic competition, right? Now, when I think of Philippians 4.13, this is the first picture that came to mind. This is Tim Tebow. He was a starting quarterback for the Florida Gators several years ago, and when he was having great seasons, winning Heisman trophies or winning national championships, he would put Bible verses written in that eye paint that went right under his eye. And so on national TV, uh, these Bible verses were being shown when they would show his face. And one, one Sunday, or Saturday when he was playing, he wrote Philippians 4.13. Okay, they captured a picture. It was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So my first thought is somebody like Tim Tebow or some athlete. I've seen athletes write Philippians 4.13, as you see here, on their cleats. I've seen people write it on baseball bats, on hockey sticks. I've seen them write it on socks and on uniforms. Philippians 4.13. I've even seen it on boxing gloves before. So most of the time when you see Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, 
It's usually in the sports world. Maybe you've used Philippians 4.13 in the same light. Going out to athletic competition, you believe you can perform well or maybe even win the game because Christ gives you strength to do so. And that's nice. It's nice that the Bible verses are getting out there and that they're publicized like on Tim Tebow's face. But is that what Paul meant when he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 4? Did he mean, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, so that means I can throw for 400 yards or score three goals in a game? I don't think that's what Paul had in mind. So this morning as we study Philippians 4, it's important to keep 4.13 in its context. So it kind of overshadows the verses that come before it, like Philippians 4.12, as Jaime mentioned. It's the lesser-known sibling. But we're going to study Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 this morning to try to get a little bit more of the context of what Paul was meaning when he wrote this. We're studying this passage this morning because uh, it's a great passage. It's meaningful to my life. And also because when Jaime goes back to ACU... He's going to take a New Testament class, and he has to write a research paper on the book of Philippians, so he's getting a jump start on that. <laughs> let's, let's get into the text this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So this is the beginning of the conclusion of this letter. And one of the things that Paul wants to get across, and that's why he says, I rejoice greatly that you renewed your concern for me, is he wants to say, thank you. This church has helped him. They've sent him financial gifts to help him in his mission. And not only that, they sent a man named Epaphroditus to try to help him. So he's letting them know, I appreciate what you've done for me. But what we're about to read in the following verses, because he's setting up what he really wants to say, is what he's really wanting to say is, I'm okay either way. Whether you sent me help or you didn't send me help, my mission is the same. Whether I receive this gift or not, I'm going to continue on preaching in the name of Christ. He wants to reassure them he's not trying to rip them off. There were plenty of pseudo-philosophers in the ancient world who would travel from town to town uh, as some great teacher and collect money So they could go to the next town and teach, but usually they were not fair in the way they were using their funds. And Paul is letting them know, that's not me. I don't need you. I appreciate it, but I don't have to have it. I'm not trying to rip you off. I'm not trying to make a profit off of you. And he said, I rejoice because you've renewed your concern and you had no opportunity to show it. The background of this text is that towards the end of Paul's life, when he was arrested... And under Roman custody, he started off in Jerusalem, was sent to Caesarea, and then eventually was making his way to Rome as a prisoner. So they might have wanted to help him, but they maybe had no chance at all to send help because they didn't even know where Paul was. All right, in verse 11, uh, reads as following. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, verse 11's primary purpose is to set up for verse 12, but there's something very important that Paul says that we need to focus on, and that is the word content. See, what does it mean to be content? Well, a basic definition is being satisfied with what one is or has, not wanting anything more or anything less. And I want to bring special attention to the fact that being content is not the same thing as being complacent. 
Because we, what we just said was being content is being satisfied with what you, what you are or what you have and not needing more or less. But being complacent is wanting more but settling for less. There's, there's, there's a little bit of, of laziness associated with it. And I wanted to make sure that we know that Paul is stressing that he is content here. He has everything he needs. He is not complacent. And he says, whatever the circumstances. So when we think about our own life, the circumstances are constantly changing. We can't control what goes on or what happens to us or our families. Or when you watch or read the news, we can't control the circumstances and what happens. Natural disasters, wars, things like that. Like we can't control the circumstances, but we know that the circumstances are constantly changing. And that was the case for Paul. So maybe one of the things that Paul is trying to draw out as he writes these words is the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. Think about what a thermometer does. It measures the temperature. So yesterday, it felt like, to me, about 100 degrees. So if you're looking at at my thermometer, it would say 100 degrees. But tomorrow, it's supposed to be cloudy and maybe a high of 85. So a thermometer is constantly going up and down. And I can't wait for it to start going down further into the 40s. If If you're with me on that, I like the cold weather. But a thermometer is constantly changing based on its outward surroundings. But a thermostat's different. We have thermostats in this room. If we want the temperature to be 70 degrees this morning, we put it at 70 degrees, and it makes this room 70 degrees if it's working right. So a thermostat is controlled inwardly. No matter what's going on on the outside, the thermostat controls what's going on on the inside. And when Paul says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, whatever is going on around him, he's not dependent on those outside circumstances. Instead, he's like a thermostat. He controls what's going on on the inside. There's some sort of peace that Paul lives with. Yeah. And speaking of circumstances, we know that Paul has been placed in many circumstances throughout his ministry. In fact, as he's writing Philippians, he's currently in prison, um, in, in a Roman prison. So verse 12 reads, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I really like how Paul uses opposites here. And he uses opposites to make a point. He says, I know what it is to have everything that I need, everything that I could possibly want, and I also know what it means to have absolutely nothing and to be hungry. And he said, through that, I have learned the secret of being content. Learned the secret. And whenever you or I hear that somebody has a secret, naturally, we want to know what it is. And so Paul's, Paul's doing the same thing as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. He's saying secret because it has them wondering, okay, what is this secret? In fact, the phrase, having learned the secret, is unique to this part of the New Testament. It's used only here. And it's because Paul is borrowing from these pagan uh, mystery religions. He's borrowing from them in the language that they use. The verb he uses, learned, was to signify, used to signify rites of passage into those religions. And the noun that he used that means secret is actually another way of saying mystery. So whenever they're reading it in their context, they're reading having been initiated into the mystery. And the people he's writing to in the, the Philippians um, would, have, would have been very familiar with this language because a lot of Philippians were actually retired Roman soldiers who were given land in Philippi. And if they weren't Roman soldiers, they were at least under Roman rule, so they would have been familiar with the language. And as a, as a former military person in, in Rome, they would have absolutely known what it meant 
to be initiated. So as Jaime was mentioning in chapter 4, verse 12, we've always read this. Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And I've learned the secret of being content. But actually, the language is being initiated into the mystery instead of learn the secret. So when I think of this word initiated, that's what I want to focus on for just a few moments. What comes to mind when you hear the word initiated or initiation? Okay, my first thought took me back to the summer in between my 8th grade and ninth grade years. It was August, around this time. We still had a home phone at our house, and the home phone rang, and my mom answered it. And I could hear her talking about me and talking for me. And she said, yes, he'll be excited, and he'll be there. And then hung up the phone, and I said, what did you just sign me up for? And she said, that was a few seniors, and they called, and they want, to, uh, they want you to be one of the freshmen that are initiated into high school. And I said, well, I'm not doing that. And she said, yes, you are. She said, I was initiated when I went to high school, and it was so much fun. They made us dress up in funny costumes and, and run around Sonic. And I was like, Mom, this is the late 90s, not the 70s anymore. You know, things have changed. These guys are cruel. But she said, no, you're doing it. So I had no choice. They, they were coming to pick me up that Saturday night. Saturday night rolls around. I'm waiting around in the front yard. About seven or eight trucks come rolling into our neighborhood. Um, they come up to my parents, you know, hi, Miss Garner, hi, Mr. Garner. You know, they're really polite and nice. They put me in the truck, basically put my seatbelt on for me. They're all being all nice, and I'm like, okay, this isn't going to be that bad. We rode down the block, turned the corner when they, my parents could no longer see us. They stopped the trucks. They ripped me out of the truck, threw me in the bed of the truck, and I noticed my friend Jeff and Adam were already in the bed of the truck laying down. They were being forced to, they were having to hide so my parents didn't see them. Uh, they blindfolded me, and they put an egg in my mouth, and they told me if the egg cracks, I have to wear a dress, which explains why my friend Jeff was already wearing a dress when I got back there. So they took off. I mean, they're flying. My body's rocking all over the place. I'm trying really hard for this egg not to crack. Um, and then about five minutes into this crazy drive, my friend Jeff, who no longer had the egg in his mouth, and this real quivery voice was like, Jody, is that you? Like, he was so terrified. And I was like, yeah, I, I couldn't answer him, so I was just, you know, with this egg in my mouth. And I'll spare you the details of what happened in the next few hours. But I will tell you, they brought us out to a field in the middle of nowhere, and there was hundreds of juniors and seniors out there, lots of girls, very embarrassing. So they bring us back home. And this time, they didn't stick around to greet my parents. They just dropped me off and drove off. And I was covered in head to toe with uh, cow manure and, and other things. And it wasn't just like a little bit smeared on me. It was head to toe, deep in my hair follicles and deep in my skin. And my mom just sat there and looked at me, and she's like, I am so sorry I made you do this. And <laughs> she hosed me off. And, I mean, for the next few weeks, you didn't want to be around me because I didn't smell too good. But the benefit was supposed to be that when I got to high school, these big seniors would be my friends, and they would hang out with me, and none of that ever happened. I remember trying to say hi to them in the hallway, and they didn't even talk to me. So I didn't get the benefit of being initiated. So when Paul says, I've been initiated into the secret, I mean, for thousands of years, this is how tribes have worked. When you want to enter into a tribe or into manhood, you, you go through some form of initiation. And usually, an initiation involves pain. If maybe you're new at your job, you're a new company, there's some form of hazing or initiation that takes place. If you go to one of our Christian colleges and you want to join a social club, there is some sort of initiation or pledge that takes place. Or same thing if you go and join a fraternity or sorority. 
a military branch, entering into high school, you know, there's always some form of initiation that's taking place. Paul says, I've been initiated into the secret or into the mystery. I've learned the secret. I've been initiated. Think about Paul's life. Think about what he had to endure. At one point, Paul had power. He had wealth. He was a leader amongst the religious group of the Jews, and he was going around persecuting Christians, and he had the power and the ability to throw people into prison. But he gave that up for the mission of Christ. And you read Paul's letters, and you see that there were times where he went hungry. He went to bed, and maybe he had a few days without food, not knowing if he was going to eat again. He was homeless at times. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He, he went through all these things, and in a way, Paul's saying... That was my initiation. That's me learning the secret. And that happens by experience. So for Paul, learning this secret, being initiated into the mystery of being content, it didn't happen overnight. He learned it through time. And as the Holy Spirit worked in Paul, it cultivated in him this Christ-likeness of being content. So why is it a mystery? You know, why does he borrow this this pagan term in the Greek language and refer to it as a mystery or as a secret. Well, when he's writing to this church in Philippi, a lot of retired military there who worked for Rome, who are used to power and wealth. And they've been taught their whole lives that if you want to be content, if you want to be happy, then have more stuff, have more money, have more power and prestige over the next guy, and you'll be more and more content. But Paul's telling them, I'm sitting in a prison cell with absolutely nothing, and yet I'm content. So he has found something in him, this secret, this initiation into the mystery of what it looks like to be content. And now we're getting back to the more known sibling in verse 13, which reads, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So this is it, right? This is the secret or the mystery that we should have been initiated into as the fellowship of believers. And to me, that means that we too should be able to do everything and be, go through every situation and be content because Christ is strengthening us. But that begs a question, why then do I still feel discontent? And, and what kind of things make me feel discontent? Maybe it's that we can be unsatisfied with our current life situation. Maybe, maybe we can be unsatisfied with our relationships or with the car we drive or with how long this sermon is dragging on for. Or maybe, just maybe, we can be discontent and unsatisfied with ourselves. So, so we have to think, which are we, right? Are we content or are we discontent? Do we already know this mystery and are we already living that out? Have we been initiated or have we not? I heard a preacher tell a story a few years ago. It was Christmas Day, so he, he was with his wife and his two sons and you know their aunts and uncles and grandparents and their cousins they were all in the same room and they were doing what you do on Christmas day and they were o the kids were opening gifts so there's a lot of excitement in the room and they looked over and he saw that his son looked upset 
started to cry, and then his son ran out of the room. So this preacher and his wife, they followed their son out of the room and into the other room, and he was just bawling his eyes out. And they were so confused. It's Christmas Day. What are you so upset about? So they went in there, and they let him calm down for a moment. And they said, what's wrong? And once he calmed down and collected himself, he said, I got everything I wanted, but I'm still not happy. This kid was learning a really tough lesson that most adults have trouble learning, including myself. That we try to fill our lives with stuff, with materialism, but that never is going to fill the void that's within us. A void that we need Christ to fill. We try to fill it with stuff, with wealth, with power, whatever it may be, but we're going to find ourselves in the long run being discontent. So the question that I think Paul is asking the church in Philippi and us today is, what makes you content? Where do you go to to try to find this contentment? And so we've talked about being content, being discontent, being initiated into the mystery, but there's, there's one more thing that we need to talk about, and that's where Paul's saying that he gets this contentment. And it's in the strength that Christ gives him. And in saying that he needs that strength, he is admitting first that he's weak, that he could not do this alone. And so I think that that means that we have to address what it looks like to receive strength from Christ. You know, we talked earlier about Philippians 4.13 maybe being used as a way to say, I'll have this power to to beat my opponent. And so I doubt that, that being strengthened by Christ means in the fourth quarter you're down by 20 and all of a sudden you have this heavenly glow about your face and you, score, you drop 40 points and win the game. I don't think it looks like that. And uh, as a lot of you know, Jody's getting older, so he might start having hip problems soon, especially if he falls off that stool. And so let's say he has hip problems and he's walking down the street and he's like, oh, I'm going to need to get surgery. And then all of a sudden a lightning bolt from heaven comes Strikes him in the hip and he's feeling better. I think that could happen, but I, I don't think that being strengthened by Christ looks like that either. No, actually, I have, a, I have a story from personal experience that might give us a better idea of what being strengthened by Christ looks like and how we can participate in it. So three years ago, I moved to Abilene, Texas, because I wanted to go to Abilene Christian University for a family and youth ministry degree. Go Wildcats. There it is. Uh, and, and I moved up there, and the first thing I had to do was, was, was start working and GPA polishing. So I went to Cisco Community College. Uh, I actually transferred over from Office Depot from the one I worked at in Houston, and I was learning what it meant to be an adult, which meant paying bills, paying rent, and apparently eating ramen noodles and eggs all the time. That's what it meant. So I was getting by, but just barely. Things were a little rough. I found a church family up there in Hamby Church of Christ. So actually, uh, I'm still going there. And... About six months into it, I moved up at the beginning of the summer, six months into it, so in the middle of a fall semester, I get a phone call from my mom, and she informed me that she'd been diagnosed with cancer, and that she'd known for a while. And I didn't know what to do with that information. I was confused, I was a little bit upset that she didn't tell me sooner, but then she told me I didn't tell you because I didn't want you to worry, because she knew that I would, because why would you worry if your mom has cancer? Uh, And... And so I told her I wanted to visit. I wanted to see her. But she told me, no, you cannot visit. You need to keep working. You need to keep going in school. You need to keep going. You could see me on Christmas break. So I agreed to that um, and, and told her I loved her and, and 
Told her I'd be praying for her, and then I, I hung up the phone. And, and that, that news affected me. It affected me in, in my school life, it affected me in my work life, and it affected me in my church life. And, and the people at church took notice. Um, I didn't think they would, but they did. Because they would always ask me, are you doing all right? Or how's it going? Are you okay? And of course, my, my pre-programmed answer is, of course, I'm doing all right. How are you? Yes, I'm doing great. And yourself? Because isn't that just kind of what we do and what we say when people ask us that question? And I kept giving that same response until finally I, I couldn't anymore. Somebody walked up to me and they said, hey, how are you? And I was getting ready to say it. I'm doing good. But I couldn't because it wasn't the case. And so I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not doing good. I actually learned recently that my mother's been diagnosed with cancer and I, I don't know how to handle the situation. I haven't had to deal with something like this before. And I was kind of surprised by the response I got, and even though I shouldn't have been. But immediately, I was encouraged. Immediately, they wanted to say a prayer for my mother as a congregation. People were, were asking me how she was doing, even, even up to this point in my life. People are still asking me that because they genuinely care. You see, I was supported, I was loved, and I was strengthened by the church at Hamby through one of the most difficult points in my life. And I would venture to say, actually, that it it wasn't necessarily the church strengthening me, but it was Christ strengthening me through the church. Because that's what the church is for. That's why we're here today. Christ initiated the church for a reason. And we could see that with Paul, right? He's strengthened from inner peace, but he's also strengthened from these churches that he's visited and that he's writing these letters to. And he's also strengthened from his friends like Titus and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he didn't, he didn't find strength. He didn't go looking for strength in worldly things, in things that are temporary, but in things that are lasting. So what strengthens you? Do you look for strength in, in, in things that are lasting or do you look for strength in things that are temporary? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it's more than a bumper sticker, more than a sports team slogan. It may be just that, if we look at it, take it out of context. But when you look at what Paul's saying in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, Paul's telling us this is the secret, this is the mystery of being content no matter what's going on in your life, what's going on on the outside is you have, you're being initiated into life regardless, and you can be either initiated into Christ where you find this true strength, or be initiated into the world where we try to fill the void with so many things. Uh, this morning, we're going to offer an invitation for you. We're going to have shepherds that will be in the back, scattered around the building. If you're at a place where you do need to be strengthened, go find one. Pray with them. That will be in private. No one has to even know. But find that strength. If you need to come up front... If you want to be initiated into Christ, become a disciple, and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, you're going to have that option. You can come up front if you need prayer requests or or whatever you need. You're welcome to respond. And why don't we stand and sing?